This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Liz Gill this morning. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Java. It's uh, great to work with you. Uh, uh, Thanks for filling in for Liz this morning. Hope you had a good weekend and excited about the show. Uh, Today we're going to be covering a really timely topic. Uh, with our guest, Jarvis Dorch, who's the executive director of the ACLU in Mississippi. Mr. Dorch, good morning. Um, uh, welcome to the show. And would you please tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, and, good morning. Sure. Um, again, um, thank you for the invite and for um, uh, reaching out to us to discuss what is a, a very important topic and something that is um, core to what we do at ACLU of Mississippi, which is voting rights. Um, I am the executive director of ACLU Mississippi. I'm a native Mississippian. Um, I grew up in in Jackson, between Jackson and Yazoo County. So it was, um, you know, back and forth there for a little while, country and and city in South Jackson. So I got a little bit of both worlds. And um, but I've been, you know, in Mississippi my entire life. And uh, prior to becoming executive director of ACLU, I was in the Mississippi legislature for five years Um, prior to that. I was an attorney working mostly on healthcare policy and doing consumer assistance for individuals and families with um, difficulty um, accessing insurance, health insurance, uh, particularly Medicaid and CHIP and and those issues that um, um, affect low-income families in the state because of some of the barriers and uh, lack of outreach that the state does for those programs. So I've been doing advocacy most of my life, Um, had a a short trip to the legislature and then had this great opportunity to um, to to take on and lead this this organization here in Mississippi. Well, we're going to talk about voting rights today, but uh, tell us a little bit about the work generally of the ACLU, if you would. Yeah, so, you know, we're part of a national organization that is ACLU National, but ACLU Mississippi is a Mississippi-based organization. We have our own board of directors. We have our own staff. We pretty much set our own agenda. We get support from National, um, just like the other affiliates. There are actually 54 affiliates in uh, the country. You know, California has four affiliates, so that's just how big they are out there. So we're covering the entire state of Mississippi, and we do Mississippi work, and we're focused on issues that, you know, you know, protecting the marginalized in our state, which is comes to back to voting, criminal justice, um, racial justice. We have a number of issues that we work on protecting the LGBTQ community. Um, we pretty much touch on everything. So we get a lot that comes our way um, and we have to be really smart about how we spend our time because we're not a huge staff, but you know, a lot of people call on us for help. Well, today we're going to be talking about voting rights and uh, that's, a, that's one of the major campaigns for ACLU in Mississippi. Why is that important? Why is that one of the projects that you uh, choose to work on? 
Yeah, I mean, voting really touches on everything, you know, participating in our democracy. Um, it, it touches on everything that we want to do. You know, if we want to make change in criminal justice, then you're going to have to have um, elected officials that, you know, care about that. You're going to have to have elected officials that care about some of the other issues that we work on. So at the core of everything we do is voting. And when I started in tw- the summer of 2020, we were in the middle of a tough time in our country. Um and voting was very paramount to what we were doing with an election uh, taking place in the middle of a pandemic. So we were involved in uh, a couple of lawsuits as soon as I took, um, as soon as I came on. And it was really clear when we were trying to sit together and put together a strategic plan over a few months that voting rights had to be really particular to what we were doing here in Mississippi, uh, because there has been an attack on voting rights over the past few years because of You know, stuff that came out of the 2020 election, stuff that wasn't really factual about some of the um, issues that, you know, people say were um, going on in that election when we know it was a safe and secure election throughout the country. Well, there there seem to be a lot of obstacles to voting rights in Mississippi, and and maybe some more have been created recently. Can you talk a little bit about some of those obstacles? What what are they? Yeah, I mean, any um, when you look at any rankings about access to voting uh, by state, Mississippi is usually at the bottom. I think New Hampshire is maybe 50th because New Hampshire has this weird way of getting registered to vote. That is like only New Hampshire kind of way you would get registered to vote. But uh, Mississippi sets up so many barriers to being able to participate. We don't have early voting. Uh, we make it very, very difficult to vote absentee. You have to get um uh, basically two documents, a notarized other states want to request an absentee ballot, you can do it online and send it back um, with your signature and it was a signature match. But Mississippi is like a two-step process. Um, we um, don't have online voter registration. You can print the registration form off the website and uh, mail it in, but you know there, there's no way to do it online. So a lot of the, the, a lot of the things that other states have, even southern states, um, we don't have in Mississippi. And the odd thing to me, serving in the Mississippi legislature, my first two years, we we passed in the House of Representatives with at least 100 votes both years, a package of voting reforms that would allow for a period of early voting, online voter registration, would have cleared up the absentee ballot process, especially for students that are, say, at Ole Miss and want to vote, um, uh, vote at campus and not have to go home and drive home to vote. Um, we did a lot of that and passed it, and it died in the Senate. Um, so, but the thing about it is, the person that was proposing that is the current lieutenant governor, who was secretary of state. So we have on the House side, you know, a speaker of the House that has said he's has voted for these voting reforms, and we had a the current lieutenant governor who put forward the reforms. But because of the politics of the last four uh, years, you cannot get a discussion on stuff that they have already voted for. And support it. Well, I know my, we were talking to you before that I have a daughter who just graduated from college. She was in California. And to be able to vote, she had to find a notary. And it's not that easy for, for a college student to find somebody to notarize yeah. something for them. Uh, and she just wanted to vote absentee. So um, that, that was just a small barrier, you know, but it's one that, you know, you multiply it by the number of Mississippians who are not in the state, but want to vote in the state. Um, that makes a difference. Um, now, what, uh, one of the big issues is gerrymandering. What, what exactly is that? 
So um, every 10 years, basically, after a census, um, governing bodies, they redraw their electoral districts. So you take the state of Mississippi and our uh, um, congressional and legislative districts, our legislature redraws those districts after getting uh, new numbers from the census. Um, and when, you know, certain parties or individuals want to draw a district in a way that favors them, uh, them individually or their party, they they use a term called gerrymandering, which, you know, they can go in with a lot of um, uh, software these days and be able to pinpoint exactly what voters they want, where they live at, what neighborhood. So you, you essentially have uh, politicians choosing their voters instead of voters choosing their politicians. You're listening to In Legal Terms here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Liz Gill. Um, today we have Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi joining us along with the Executive Director of the ACLU of Mississippi, Jarvis Dortch. We're talking about voting rights. Now, In Legal Terms provides a lot of information for you on your rights. And we talked about ways to vote in a previous show about three years ago on uh, June 3rd, on June 23rd third uh 2020 podcast so if you visit legalterms.mpbonline.org and you want to get some extra content about voting you can go check out that episode of in legal terms today we're talking with uh jarvis dortch executive director of the aclu of mississippi of all about voting rights and um, Professor Gershon, I know we were just talking about uh, voting, especially when it comes to hindrances or something of those uh, sorts <laughs> when it comes to, to voting. And it always seems to me that the people who are putting these hindrances in place are not always doing it for, I don't know, security reasons, which are often expressed um especially when it comes to people voting on college campuses and things like that, because if I'm correct, a valid ID is not a student ID. Is that correct, Jarvis? No, in Mississippi, you can still um, use one of your student ID is one of the things that's covered under the, our voter ID law. In a lot of states, it's not covered, but um, in Mississippi, they did do a, um, I don't think the voter ID is necessary, but they did have an expansive list of um IDs that can be used. Okay, so point for us on that one. How, how, how about that, uh, Professor Gershon? <laughs> well, that sounds, that sounds great, and I do wish that they would make it easier for students to vote on campus, though. And and honestly, I think it would be great if people could vote on different days, too. You know, we have one day um, yeah. that you get to vote on in Mississippi, and uh, uh, a lot of states have a period of time that people can vote because pe not everybody can vote on that one day. People work. And, uh, you know, some people have talked about having a national holiday on election days or a state holiday that may make it easier. But uh, I mean, participatory uh, democracy is what we always talk about. And, and yet we have all these these hurdles. And so, uh, you know, uh, organizations like the ACLU are, 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 are helping us the best they can. And in fact, um, you mentioned resources, Java, and and. Uh, and and uh, the ACLU drivers, can you talk about the one of the resources you have your your let the people vote toolkit that's available on your website? Yeah, I mean part of our work is doing um, advocacy at the Mississippi Legislature and um, you know promoting different reforms that can make it easier for folks to vote. So our let the people vote uh, toolkit is built around two of those reforms, two reforms that are pretty popular. Um, 
One is online voter registration, and the other is no excuse uh, early voting, which we were just talking about. So, um, you know, the, the systems are in place with the Secretary of State to be able to do online voter registration. You can actually right now, if you are a registered voter, you can go on and change your address online if you booed. Um, so all of that stuff is in place, but we make it very difficult for you to register to vote. You have to print out a um, actual application and mail it in instead of being able to do stuff online like you do you know, with everything right now, um, you have to go and get a paper ballot, uh, a paper document and send it in. Um, and then, as we were discussing, early voting is something that, you know, red states, blue states, purple states, uh, most states do. They allow people to vote early because, you know, we're participating. That's you want people participating in an election. And it's so weird in Mississippi that when you have Republicans that don't support early voting, if you just look at the numbers, when more people vote in Mississippi, Republicans do better. I mean, Donald Trump got way more votes than um, our, our sitting governor. So, I mean, hundreds of thousands of more votes. So those are people that turned down and voted more. It's not and you know necessarily a win for one party or the other. It's just more people voting. It's a right. Right. I mean, it is. It's, it's something in the Constitution that, that uh, is a right to vote. Um, and speaking of which, uh, you know, recently and I was surprised by this. And I think you, a lot of people were the United States Supreme Court um, had had came up with a decision in Alabama, a voting rights decision. Could you talk a little bit about that and its impact? Yeah, um, you know, we were surprised. I think personally, I was thinking the court was going to just, you know, come down with a decision that made it harder for you to prove these kind of cases. But they ended up um, pretty much maintaining the status quo and keep affirming that, you know, if a plaintiff brings one of these lawsuits challenging redistricting, that you can use race to um, address past harms, that you can consider um communities of color and other uh, options to to be able to make sure that districts are drawn in a way that allow for representation and don't dilute uh, voting strength of a minority. The state of Alabama was arguing that courts couldn't, or the state legislature couldn't consider race at all, which, you know, on his face, oh, that sounds great. But if there's a harm, there's no way to fix that harm. So it, it was really saying, you know, uh, Voting Rights Act really would have no way of fixing anything because you couldn't go in and say, well, they diluted black voting strength here, but there's nothing we can do about it because we can't, we don't see color when we look at this map, even though, you know, the legislature in Alabama created seven congressional districts and only one was majority black congressional district in a state where the population is nearly 30% black. Now, Professor Gershon, I know that was a lot that Jarvis just explained, but does that mean that that decision, uh, I guess because it came from the Supreme Court, goes across the country as far as when you're bringing these type of cases, you can include race? Is that correct? I think that's what we'll see going forward. So, you know, I want to ask Jarvis this. I mean, do you think that that means that Mississippi, someone in Mississippi could challenge the way districts are drawn in Mississippi based on race? Yeah, that this applies um, nationwide. Actually, this lawsuit in Alabama, really, there are a lot of other um, apportionment lawsuits across the country. They were all waiting on this decision. The Supreme Court essentially said, don't do anything until we make a decision in this case, because this case was going to impact several other cases, including two cases we have filed in Mississippi that 
we have set for trial next year. But um, yeah, essentially is that, you know, we if there are past harms or um, opportunities to provide um, greater strength for voters of color, you can consider race. Um, there's a lot of different steps you have to take in that. But, you know, we have a lawsuit right now challenging our new legislative districts. And what we're saying is that the state went in and packed black voters into a select number of House and Senate districts to dilute their voting strength, uh, which this means is instead of having black voters spread out in a more normal path of um, being spread out against um, different districts, you dilute their voting strength because they only have an opportunity to select um, an, a, a legislator of their choice in this select number of districts as opposed to be having having influence in a broad number of districts. And so uh, it sounds like, you know, really a lot of people felt like when the Supreme Court got rid of preclearance, you know, uh, that that was kind of the end of the Voting Rights Act in terms of race. Does this revive it in that regard? Um, it doesn't revive the preclearance standard, but it does allow for private parties to continue to bring these lawsuits. So preclearance would have meant that that Alabama uh, map would have never went into effect because it had it would have had to been approved approved by the Department of Justice. Um, back in 2013, uh, the Roberts Court did strike down part of the Voting Rights Act that uh, established a formula for what states or districts were subject to preclearance. They said that that was unfair to those areas. So um, the Congress has not addressed that. Congress could come back and put together a new formula and um, allow for preclearance to start back, but they haven't been able to pass anything since it was struck down in 2013. Well, my cynical side would say that back then, the Roberts Court in 2013 was saying, Alabama is not going to discriminate based on race. And then we get to 2023, they're saying, Alabama just discriminated on race, you know, so <laughs> at the same court, right? It was Roberts and we have different, some of the different judges, but yep, actually, same. go ahead, I'm sorry. No, same court, same state. Um, it was a case in Alabama and, you know, the Roberts court and Justice Roberts wrote the decision basically saying that um, we don't have these racial issues in our in these states anymore or these communities anymore. So there's no need for this preclearance, um, you know, uh, as some folks argue the reason that you don't have those issues is because of preclearance. So um, you're getting rid of the tool that's allowed for folks to get elected or to have representation or be able to vote uh, freely. Do you think we'll ever go back to preclearance or is that a dead issue at this point? I think there is always hope that Congress could pass something to, to, um, to reenact that formula. There was a um, chance to do it a couple years ago in Congress uh, with the John Lewis Voting Voting Rights Act. Um, So I'm always hopeful that that could happen. Um, I think there's a need for it. And definitely, you know, when you look at the preclearance standard, it wasn't just, you know, the deep South states. There were counties in California that were subject to preclearance, counties in Michigan and New Hampshire I think the state of Alaska was also subject to preclearance. And, you know, it was not, it was talked about as it just focused on the Deep South, but this formula was uh, constructed in a way that didn't just apply to Southern states. 
You're listening to uh, In Legal Terms here on MPB Think Radio. That is Jarvis Dortch, Executive Director of the ACLU of Mississippi. And this morning we have our host, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law here with us. We're talking about voting rights. If you have a question, uh, join us by email legal terms at mpbonline.org or the brand new talk to us feature inside of the public media app. Um, you guys were just talking about uh, gerrymandering and drawing uh, district lines. I always think it's funny that if you ever want to see some new shapes, some, uh, you know, some shapes that you've never seen before outside of the rectangles and the squares and the triangles and circles we learned about in primary school. Just look at the way that some of these uh, congressional districts are drawn because they can, you know, they can stretch <laughs> a district to include uh, areas that that they want to be included and excluded at the same time. Um, Professor Gershon, I know you guys were just talking about the um, Alabama uh, Supreme Court um, decision and the impact that it may have on Mississippi. But um, what about the uh, the Voting Rights Act and um, what do you think it requires to have more more teeth? Well, John, I think really uh, Congress has to help with that, uh, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, and and I think lawsuits from organizations like the ACLU. You know, I think I think the, the Voting Rights Act got some more teeth, you know, with the Supreme Court's late decision. And uh, I'll defer to Jarvis on his thoughts about that as well. I mean, what, what do you think it, it's going to need to have more teeth? I, I think this um, decision really helps because, you know, we got the sense and I think some other organizations and other states got the sense that um, a lot of these states that have passed these bad maps thought the Supreme Court was going to throw out this part of the Voting Rights Act. And their response in this in litigation was simply, you know, they're making the same arguments that Alabama was making because they thought that, you know, they wouldn't have to make a specific or real argument because the Supreme Court was going to handle it. So I think that's going to make people, you know, take this more seriously when they're drawing these maps. Um, you know, for Mississippi and a number of states, this was the first time that they did redistricting without preclearance since the 60s. So they took advantage of um, some previous decisions that made it uh, harder to prove these cases. Um, Congress has always come back and addressed some of those decisions in the past, but that was in the 80s. And actually in 2006, when they reauthorized the um, Voting Rights Act and created a new formula for preclearance, you know, you had almost unanimous support across the board for it. And that was just 2006, but a lot has changed since then. So um, you, I think eventually we're going to get back to a Congress that can pass um, pass laws that are needed instead of based on fiction that is being floated around the Internet. That'd be great. Another option, you know, the state of Mississippi can pass these laws as well to make it easier for folks to vote and make sure that we are... Um, not discriminating or diluting voting strength based on race. Um, it would be great to be able to do that with a ballot, a ballot initiative, but we can't get that done right now because of, <laughs> of a state Supreme Court decision. It always seems like voting is one of the hardest things to do in this democracy, which requires our votes. But you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. Um, Java Chapman. 
our so-so hosts, <laughs> filling in for Liz Gill this morning. And we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast or find MPB Think Radio recordings at our website, mpbonline.org slash radio. Now, the ACLU of Mississippi, um, they have professionals that have taught us our rights concerning free speech and LGBTQ plus rights as it is Pride Month. Also, um, look for those podcasts um, from June 9th of 2020 and October 11th of 2022, wherever you get your audio or inside the MPB public media app. But today we're talking about voting rights with our guest executive director of the ACLU of Mississippi, Mr. Jarvis Dortch. Um, Professor Gershon, I think you had a question. Oh, no, I just um, I, I wanted to see, you know, talk uh, uh, if Jarvis would talk a little bit about just kind of basic rights, you know, who gets to vote, and what you need to do to vote. And, uh, they've, they've got some great information on their their website at ACLU uh, dot org, oh, ACLU uh, hyphen Mississippi MS dot org. And we'll put that on the website. Uh, and uh, Jarvis. If you could answer this, I'm sorry to uh, cut you off, uh, sure, Professor no, no, no. Gersh, but um, Jarvis, if you could answer this question, always it comes up about uh, felonies and being able to vote. And, you know, if you're in the criminal justice system, um, what are those hindrances? Um, can you vote? Will you get your voting rights back or, or are they even actually taken away? Yeah, I think the first thing uh, to do is to figure out if your voting rights have been been taken away based on what crime uh, you were convicted of. Um, some of those crimes are disenfranchising, which means you had to get your voting rights back uh, by a um, process where you had to get a bill passed in the Mississippi legislature or um, get a um, um, something from the governor uh, restoring your voting rights back. So it's a very difficult process if you've been convicted of like 22, a list of 22 crimes, which I can't name all of them <laughs> from the top of my head, which makes it very difficult because a lot of these crimes um, were set forward in the Constitution, but they've been expanded by some interpretations by our attorney general in the past uh, because of new laws have been written. Um, but one of the things you need to do is check with MDOC, then check with an office like ours or Mississippi Center for Justice or some other organizations that can walk you through the process of finding out if you have been disenfranchised and then um, the process of trying to apply to get your voting rights back. But if not, you can um, go ahead and uh, fill, out, fill out the voter registration form and submit it. Um, for folks that are in high school right now, if you're going to be 18 on Election Day, you can register to vote, even if you're not 18 right now. Um, and the last day to register to be able to vote uh, in this coming general election is going to be 30 days out. So I guess um, it's going to be around October 8th. So let me ask this question. Um, you're talking about, uh, I guess, being in the criminal justice system. As long as you have not um, um, uh, done one of these 22 crimes, uh, you still are able to vote. Can you vote in jail? Um, are you, um, you know, does, is it a time limit? Let's say I served 10 years in prison and I come out as long as I didn't cre uh, do any of these 22 listed crimes. Do I still have that uh, right to vote? So if, if back to the voting in jail. So if you're in um, custody, and you have not been convicted yet. You still have your right to vote. Um, it's very difficult, but you can still vote if, say, you're being held pretrial, um, but haven't been convicted. You still can vote. But if you're in prison. Um, after conviction, uh, you're not going to be able to vote at, at that point. But 
depending on what the crime is, you can re-register to vote once you have served your time. Is it, I mean, what? And maybe uh, this is not something that we any of us can answer. But why? Why, as someone who committed a felony, why are they disenfranchised? What was the reason behind that? If they've served their time. So these crimes that were listed were, you know, this goes back to 1890, um, our 1890 Constitution, which, you know, the the framers of that Constitution said clearly they were writing a Constitution to get Black folks out of politics in the state of Mississippi. So they put forward crimes that, um, that, you know, Black Mississippians were more likely to be charged with as opposed to white Mississippians. So even like the petty theft or crimes like that as opposed to um, grand larceny or, or things that are uh, embezzlement or things like that, you know, that a, a white Mississippian may face. So they wrote crimes that they wrote crimes in the Constitution that were more likely to be um, were it was more likely that black citizens were going to face prosecution from. Right. And that was the time when uh, we were coming out of Reconstruction and, and during Reconstruction, there were a lot of uh, black elected officials. So uh, it, um, so it's kind of an archaic idea uh, to prevent someone who's committed a felony from voting once they once they've served their time. But so what what you know, what um, what other requirements are there? I mean, if uh, you, I mean, where how do we determine where somebody votes, for example? Um, it's based on your residence. Um, so if I register to vote and um, just say I registered, I re-registered to vote in my new home in North Jackson. Um, once I change my voter registration, I'm going to be assigned to a precinct that's in that area. And so I'm going to be able to vote at that precinct. So you should be able to get, you should get a receive a card from your circuit clerk, letting you know the address of your precinct um, and when, um, you know, address and location. So for me, that was the first time changing the place I voted at since high school. Uh, so I've always voted at one place, Southwell Middle School in South Jackson. Now I vote um, at a church in Northeast Jackson. So you receive that card and it's based on those precincts. And those precincts are basically set out by the election commission in that um, that that county. In Hines County, we have 118 precincts. So there are a lot of different locations for folks to vote at. And um, in some counties, there aren't that many precincts. So it's more difficult to vote in some of these rural counties where it's more spread out. Right. And that's kind of, I think, why some people think maybe early voting or, you know, having a period of time to vote would help some of the people in those rural areas that might have a hard time getting there. Um, Do you think we'll ever move to online voting? (laughs) It's hard, hard for me to see online voting. Um, um, I, I'm not an expert on what that, that tech would have to look like, but especially in our current political climate, just being able to get voter registration online is is a tough lift. So I think right now with all of the talks about, you know, rigged elections, uh, um, there have to be a dramatic shift in this country about um, how we perceive our politics before we can get something like that. If American so, Idol can do it, then the U.S. <laughs> government can do it. We can do it. I never hear about security for the American Idol voting system. <laughs> that's, that's true. And also, we, we file our tax returns online and we do so many things through with the government online that uh, it, may, it makes it easier for them and easier for us. So 
Uh, I I teach wells in the States, and I I never thought in the day that we'd ever have anything but wills having to be, you know, written out on paper. uh, And, and, you know, you have a a hard copy of, of a will. But a lot of the states have adopted electronic will statutes. So now you can even do a will online uh, with certain authentication and, and uh, protections that they put in. So I, you know, I, it, it, it seems like in 2023, we ought to be able to figure out a way to do it online and that would make it more accessible uh, to people. Um, but I agree. I don't know that we're getting there anytime soon, certainly. Um, but what, uh, you know, uh, let's talk about ID because Java asked about ID before and uh what what is an acceptable ID? Is it just a driver's license, or are there other other voter IDs that you can you can have? Uh, and I think you have pulled up on our website. We have a list of um, some of the IDs in Mississippi that you can use, like a driver's license, your passport. Uh, you can get a free ID card from the state of Mississippi. Uh, you do have to go to one of the um, driver's license stations to to get that. Um, you shouldn't be charged for anything for that. So that that's one of the issues with voter ID. You do have to make sure that people can get an ID card that doesn't cost them money because, you know, that's essentially a poll tax if you did have to pay for that ID. Um, student IDs from one of our accredited Mississippi universities or community colleges, um, military ID, travel ID. Um, those are, um, you know, a pretty expansive list of items that folks can use in the state, uh, your firearms license. And, and I, you know, it's hard to talk about it because <laughs> for me, there's like, you know, no purpose in doing this. It's not, it's, it was a solution to something that wasn't happening, but, you know, you have to admit that you do, you do have a, a, a good option or a good number of options to use with the voter ID in the state. Um, Jarvis, I would jump in and say that um, I remember when the voter ID was enacted. And if you need that list, um, visit um, ACLU-MS.org, a great resource for um, all things about voting rights and much more. But when that um, uh, voter ID law was enacted, I will give uh, them credit, and I guess especially uh, Delbert Hoseman, because I can still remember the commercial where he was talking with the older lady and she was, you know, kind of confused about the voter ID and he was running down a list of, uh, you know, acceptable IDs. And I thought that was a great campaign. I mean, if you're going to enact these changes, at least tell the people about it and inform it, because I know certain times there are um, precincts that may close for this, that and the third and other things that may happen where people kind of figured them out on election day or maybe a week before election day. Um, I mean, I'm a, an able-bodied person, uh, you know, of a sound mind and judgment. So I was able to make a quick decision like, Oh, my precinct closed. So I need to go down the street or something. But for other people, them going to their precinct that they've always gone to, and then it's closed. Nobody told them that their vote is thrown in the, thrown in the river, you know? So I think at least if you're going to make these changes, let the people know about it. Yeah. And there's been a lot of discussion the past couple of years about having a set place where people can go and find out where their, their precincts are at. The secretary of state has a link that takes you to a location. Um, if you put your address in, but that, that has proven to be wrong a number of times for folks. Um, even personally, when I first went to vote, it, it sent me to the wrong precinct. Um, the secretary of state has maintained that he cannot, force every uh, jurisdiction to send him an updated copy of precinct changes. Um, 
there are people that argue that he can, but right now he he is not doing that. Um, and it's pretty much left up to the election commissioners in that county to be able to um, post and share where, where precincts have been changed at. Um, and that's been a problem because, you know, they, they either don't have the resources to do that well or don't um, go about doing it well. And you have people that show up at a place they've always voted at and see a sign that says we've moved. And um, th- that doesn't happen. They don't see that till election day because we only have one day to vote. Yeah, that creates a problem. You know, it's interesting. You, we were talking about voter ID, and that was originally based on a ballot initiative. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, the legislature did uh, enact it. But um, interestingly enough, I mean, that was it wasn't until we got to uh, the issue of medical cannabis that that the ballot initiative became a problem. It was I null mean, and I, void. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> they use the same as that process to, to pass that ballot initiative that that they did in 2020. Um, talk about I've heard things about uh, what they call a provisional ballot as in a way to make sure that your vote is cast. Uh, we were talking about going to the wrong precincts and people not having valid IDs, but um, the provisional ballot, as I come to understand, is one way to make sure that you cast your vote. And once everything is, um, I guess, uh, secured, as in you were in the right precinct or they find your voter ID uh, thing, that that vote will be counted. Um, can you speak about the provisional ballot a little bit? Yeah, and in the voter ID, um, uh, related to vo- uh, voter ID, if you don't have your voter ID when you go to the precinct to vote, you can you can vote uh, provisional, and you get you're giving I think five to seven days. I can't remember if it's five or seven to go to your circuit clerk and demonstrate that you do have your ID to be able to match that that vote and have it counted. Um, other issues are when you go in to vote and you're not on the, um, you're not in the poll book um, for whatever reason, maybe you went to the wrong precinct or, um, you know, you've been purged, which is going to be an issue that's going to be coming up in our state because our state is moving towards purging folks uh, for none voting. Um, so if you've been taking out the voter voter book, I mean, the, the poll book for any reason, you can vote provisionally and again, have to come back to that circuit clerk and prove that you are an eligible voter um, and that your vote should be counted, but it's on you to do that. Um, and with purging, um, purging is simply prior to um, maybe 30 days out before the election, um, it has to stop, but you know, it's the circuit clerks or the um, election commissioners going through the voting rolls and removing folks that are that's based on right now, based on information that they received, that a person has moved, that a person has uh, died or um, they're registered to vote in another place. Um, those people can be removed from the ballot. Um, we, The Mississippi legislature passed a bill this year that's going to allow folks to be removed from the ballot eventually purged from the uh, voter rolls for not not voting. Um, essentially, if you don't vote in a number of elections, you get sent to this process of you're going to be put on a restricted list. And then if you don't vote and re- respond to a card that's going to be sent by the Secretary of State, um, you can be purged from the voting rolls. And the only thing you have done is not vote, cho- uh, chosen not to vote. You haven't moved. You haven't you haven't died. <laughs> You just chose not to vote uh, in consecutive elections, and 
Um, we think that's just going to be a really messy process where people have been taken off the voting rolls um, and have no idea until they show up to vote when they do decide to vote. And I think it's absurd to lose your right to vote because you simply chose not to vote. I mean, you don't you're not forced to vote, but that shouldn't be a reason for you to lose your right to vote. That is very absurd because I've seen politicians on television saying that they were unpleased with the choices for certain elections. And they have said, I'm going to abstain from voting like publicly. So that's that's kind of that's kind of wild that you would lose your right to vote because you chose not to vote. (laughs) Yeah, we know on the Democratic side that there are, are voters that didn't turn out to vote until Barack Obama was on the ballot. And likewise, on the Republican side, there are voters that did not turn out to vote until Donald Trump was on the ballot, Um, because for whatever reason, that that candidate spoke to them. um, And that's their right. Um, They shouldn't have, you know, be subject to getting purged because the candidates prior to that didn't speak to them. Now, we do have a few calls on the line. Um, um, Is it okay we take these calls, Professor Gershon? Sure, of course. All right. Well, let's go ahead and speak with. uh, I hit the wrong button. I don't do this often. Okay, here we go. Now let's talk to Lauren in uh, Natchez on the line. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Um, Yeah, I was uh, basically going to call because I I grew up in California and we always had a lot of ballot initiatives there. Um, And so they would send us out this pamphlet. I don't know if it got put out by the League of Women Voters or or who put it out exactly or if it it was the Secretary of State. Um, Anyways, they would explain all the initiatives and the pros and the uh, cons and um, and then people, uh, also the candidates for election, and talk about their, you know, they get to put in a blurb about their backgrounds and stuff. And I wish that we had something like that in Mississippi because I felt I, um, I vote out of Pearl. I live in Pearl and, um, I felt very unprepared for the last election that I voted for because I hardly even knew where my, where my precinct was. And then there was no information available to me anywhere about the candidates or anything. Well, appreciate you calling this morning, uh, Lauren. I guess, Jarvis, uh, Professor Kirsten, this is about voter education, um, you know, where to turn to to learn about the candidates on the ballot and um, where, you know, where to vote. Yeah I've, um, yeah, I've heard about that process in Oregon where they're voting strictly by mail now. And they sent out a packet of info on ballot initiatives, the candidate. Um, all of that with your ballot. So it's done by the state. I'm not up to speed on the California process, but that is something that, you know, states are doing to make it easier for folks to vote and to get them more engaged and understand what they're voting for. Um, We don't have anything of that sort in Mississippi right now. I will say the League of Women Voters does put out an informational packet. I think you have to look for that on their website and they'll talk about initiatives and not, you know, not tell you which way to vote, but just kind of, you know, tell you what they're, what they're about. So nothing from the state, but, you know, so there are some organizations that do have some helpful information, but it would be nice. I agree if, if that was something that just came, you know, and, and encouraged people to vote and here's what we're talking about. Here's what we're going to vote on. 
Well, thanks for that call, Lauren. Let's um, get to our last call for the hour and speak with uh, Carolyn in Ridgeland. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to ask a question. My son has his voter card, but he lives in another state. Um, Does that make him eligible to vote in that other state, or he can only use that in the state of Mississippi? um, uh, um, So it sounds like if he's... um in another state, um, he can register to vote in that state, or he can uh, remain a voter in Mississippi um, and probably have to vote absentee. He wouldn't be able to use that student ID from that other school, from the school outside of Mississippi. Um, so I think it's just his choice of whether or not he wants to register to vote um, in that new state where his college is at or university is at, or if he wants to continue to vote here in Mississippi using, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, your address, his home, his parents' address. Okay. He's not a student. Um, he's actually uh, in another state temporarily. temporarily. So, okay. I mean, during the time of the election, will he be able to vote while he's in another state? In Mississippi? If he's still a resident of Mississippi and tends to live in Mississippi, um, he'll be able to vote. And, you know, he can request an absentee ballot that can be sent to him to his new address. Got you. Okay. That's what I need to know. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, absentee ballots are now available from your um, circuit clerk's office for the uh, primary elections, which are coming up in August. Um, primary election is uh, August 8th. And I think the last day to register to vote for the primary, the August 8th primary, is July 10th. So um might want to jump on that. <laughs> uh, Professor Gershon, um, I'll give you last word as we are closing out with Jarvis. I just want to thank Jarvis. Thank you, Java, as well, um, for the good work they're doing. Jarvis, one, one, with one second, how does somebody get in touch with the ACLU if they've got an issue they want help with? Uh, the easiest way is to go to aclums.org, um, and you can find a way to contact us. If you have a legal issue, there's a legal intake there, but there's also a phone number to our office where you can talk with uh, someone on our legal team, and they'll walk you through the process if it is a legal issue. Um, and there are a host of other ways to get involved and to follow us on social media at the website. Well, we thank you, Jarvis, Executive Director, Jarvis Dortch, Executive Director of ACLU of Mississippi, for joining us. As always, it was a pleasure, uh, Professor Gershon. Um, and that's a wrap. Our board engineer was the lovely Liz Gill. Um, podcast producer and call screener was Abram Nanny. Uh, make sure you join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms. Up next, it is Southern Remedy, relatively speaking. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.